So thanks for joining us today on People with Passion for Pets. I'm talking to Dr. Josh Sosnow, a veterinarian here in Scottsdale, Arizona. And today I am talking to him about a topic that is coming up more and more, and that is seizures in dogs. Good morning, Dr. Sosnow. Welcome back to people with passion for pets. Thank you very much for having me. I am so pleased to have you back on the show. Dr. Zasna, last time you were here, we talked about things that pet owners should know uh, in the hot summer months. We talked about heat exhaustion, rattlesnake bites, and all kinds of other topics. Uh, but today I ask you back for a very, very specific topic, and I'm excited uh, to have your professional opinion uh, I hear more and more about seizures in dogs, and I don't know if it is that we're just much more connected, and so uh, topics like these come up more, or is it really that there are more dogs that have seizures? So in your professional opinion, what do you see in your practice? Here in the Southwest, particularly in Arizona, we have something called valley fever, which is an infection caused by a fungus that lives in the environment, and it can make its way to the brain causing seizure activity. Now, if you had a dog that was diagnosed with seizure activity that was living in Vermont, for example, who had never traveled outside of Vermont, you wouldn't consider valley fever as a possible cause for seizure activity, but you might look at the possibility of tick-borne diseases, for example. So there's a lot of variability in terms of uh, the way we, or I should say a lot of variability in what we look for when diagnosing seizure activity, and that's gonna vary depending on the patient's age, location in the country, um, and you know, medical history overall. And so just for our viewers and uh, to clarify for me as well, so I hear oftentimes uh, the word seizure and then I hear epilepsy. Is there a difference between the two or? I think, I think perhaps the best way to clarify those terms is to say that epilepsy is a condition that produces seizure. Um, so um, I, I guess you, you could use the word disease to describe epilepsy, whereas a seizure is a consequence of something else. So. It could be a consequence of epilepsy. It could be a consequence of perhaps, you know, ingesting a toxin or an infection or, you know, any variety of things. Gotcha. So a seizure really is just a, um, a symptom of an underlying cause. Correct. Okay. And what are the signs of seizures in, in dogs? Well, the most classic seizure that people think about is something that we refer to as a grand mal seizure. That's where you get, you know, full body convulsions. Sometimes you can lose control of your bladder or bowels. Um, they can vocalize, you know, they sort of fall to the ground in a prone position. Um, but admittedly, there are other types of seizures, seizures that affect one part of the body. Uh, for example, seizures that might cause the eyes to flutter or, you know, it might cause only tremors in one part of the body. Um, admittedly, in those situations, at times it can be difficult to recognize, especially if we don't have say, a video of it to see. Um, the, but I think it's fair to say that when, when people typically experience seizures for the first time, most clients see it as a grand mal seizure that involves the entire body. If I saw that in my dog, I would um, definitely be concerned. Is, is this like an emergency where when the seizure happens, I should take the dog to the vet or is it something that I should be kind of working through and then consult my vet after the fact? Well, I think it very much depends on whether this is the first time you experience the seizure or whether, you know, this is something that's happened 
you know, uh, on a recurring basis. Um, certainly, if this is the first time you've ever observed seizure activity, you do want to contact your veterinarian right away. It would be preferable from our standpoint to evaluate the pet as soon as we can and begin the process of trying to identify the cause. That said, if you have a patient, say, for example, that's been diagnosed with epilepsy, and, you know, you've seen seizures before, you know they're going to happen on occasion, um, it's very appropriate to, you know, make sure your pet is in a safe space, in a place where it can't injure itself, stay with them until the seizure, you know, resolves, and give them, obviously, the necessary time to recover from it before they're left alone. Um, so it's really going to vary depending on the situation. And of course, the other thing to consider is the length of time the patient is actually seizing, because you know, the longer a patient seizes, the more concerns we have about the possibility of any type of lingering or more long-standing damage that could occur. Um, obviously, when you're you're seizing, you have to be concerned about, you know, for example, your body temperature. You know, if your patient is is experiencing convulsions for a long period of time there's always the possibility that body temperature could rise. So um, staying with the patient, whether you're experienced in dealing with a pet with seizures or new to it is really important. I think the other thing to consider is that or whenever you have questions, you know, call your veterinarian because we're there to help you and guide you through the process. And even clients who have experienced managing seizures in their pets still need additional help at times. And it may be a situation where we as veterinarians need to consider modifying our treatment to decrease both the frequency and severity of the, the seizures that you know your pet is experiencing. Now, I know one of the things that uh, I hear a lot about um, people and seizures is that you're supposed to be sure that they don't uh, swallow their tongue. Is that mm -hmm. something you would want to do as a pet owner? As a general rule, it's not something we really warn people about. Uh, actually, with respect to the mouth, the thing that we really tell people to do is keep your hands away from the head or mouth because in the process of having convulsions, they, your pet could inadvertently bite you. Not again, not with any type of intent, but um, you know, you're you're sort of in the line of fire, if you will, and you could get, get bit and, and potentially seriously injured. So um, it's best not to put your hands near the head or face. And you know, if you do need to, for whatever reason, restrain the pet because they're convulsing and, and they're at risk for harming themselves, you know, ideally getting that pet on the floor so they can't fall off a piece of furniture or a bed, for example. And, and you know, even, you know, placing, using a towel and using the towel and your, your arm to place a little bit of pressure on the neck so they can't sort of turn and bite is not an unreasonable thing. What are uh, some of the treatments or tests that um, you would generally do when somebody comes to you and the pet had uh, a seizure for the very first time? So the standard testing that we do, regardless of say where you are in the country, usually involves um, basic tests like a CBC or a complete blood count, looking at red and white cells, um, some sort of chemistry panel to look at uh, or look for evidence of organ dysfunction that could cause the seizure activity, as well as an analysis of the urine. Beyond that, certainly there are tests that we do looking for certain types of infectious diseases, again, depending on where you are in the country which could cause seizure activity. And, and beyond that, certainly, you know, one at times could consider things like ultrasounds, x-rays, or even more advanced imaging, like an MRI, for example, if you really have concerns about the possibility of changes in the brain that could be leading to the seizure activity. Again, some of the testing you're gonna do really is dependent on the age of the patient. Um, again, because we're, we're looking for different possible explanations for the seizure activity, as well as where you're located geographically and whether there are concerns about infectious diseases. So we, there is some variability there. And we usually go through a stepwise process working our way through, uh, you know, from the most likely causes to some of the lesser, you know, least likely. 
And then what, what is uh, some of the treatment? I um, In my research, I kind of uh, came across, they said that there really isn't any cure, so to speak. You basically are going to be treating this type of condition on a almost like for the life of the pet. Is that correct? Well, in cases where the seizure activity is brought on by, let's say, an infectious disease or perhaps by a condition affecting another organ system, it, it probably is fair to say that there are certain treatments that could you know, basically eliminate the possibility of seizures going forward. Certainly for patients who have, say, epilepsy, which is probably one of the most common um, conditions to produce seizure activity, we don't have treatments. You know, we can't cure it. We manage it with a variety of medications, much as they do on the human side. Now, these days, unlike, you know, our experience even, you know, 10, 15 years ago, many of the drugs that we use to manage seizure activity are, are human drugs. And they're very safe and have relatively few side effects. Um, so, you know, they can be on these medications long term without risking damage to other organ systems. But even things these days like CBD, which can be used to augment the treatment necessary to console, control seizure activity. I think it's actually important to mention that when, when I talk to owners about a new diagnosis, say a new diagnosis of epilepsy, it's important to realize that the purpose of medication is really to decrease the frequency and severity of seizures. But it is possible that even a very well-controlled dog still could have a breakthrough seizure now and again. And certainly when we talk about observed seizure activity, it's just that. We're talking about the seizures that you actually observe or see evidence of, because it is certainly possible that, you know, when you're not at home, your pet could have a seizure and you're, you're unaware of it. Is there anything like when it comes to uh, preventative things that we could do? On occasion, you'll encounter an owner who says, you know, I, I see this behavior or, or when I see this, my patient begin to vocalize in a certain way, it's a tip off to me that a seizure may be coming. But to be perfectly honest, most of the time, owners don't have any advance notice, and there's nothing that we can provide them, unfortunately, that gives them a heads up as to when a seizure might occur or, you know, how severe it might end up being. And maybe just one more time to go back to, you said the most common cause of seizure is epilepsy. Um, is that like a genetic thing, or do we know what causes it? So we take our cues certainly from the human side, um, and there have been a lot of studies that have identified certain um, abnormalities within cells in the brain, abnormalities with respect to what are called ion channels or certain receptors that are um, the cause of seizure activity. And certainly, you know, our brains are very similar to the brains of dogs and cats. And we have to believe that if these abnormalities exist on the human side, to some degree, they probably exist on the veterinary side. Um, so yes, in, in a lot of patients, there probably is a strong genetic predisposition. There is a, you know, you're, you're essentially born with this. That said, obviously, there are certain conditions that can develop over time. I don't want to necessarily say are genetically based, but at some level probably are. Um, but again, they're, they're emergent rather than things that are very early in life that can be responsible for seizure activity. And, you know, at the end of the day, as we've as medicine has progressed, certainly like over the last 20 years, we do recognize that so much of what we deal with probably has some sort of genetic basis. What are the percentages of dogs that have seizures? You know, that can be a, a difficult question to answer. I, I think that, you know, seizures are not unusual. Um, and certainly we do see circumstances for patients where a seizure occurs once and may never occur again. Um, it, you know, for us as veterinarians, it's not uncommon to see a patient with seizure activity. And, um, it's certainly not uncommon to see a young patient who comes in having seized for the first time and, and for us to eventually, you know, make a diagnosis of epilepsy. And um, so this is not as unusual as people might think. Now, one of the things I try to communicate to folks is that this is very manageable. This is very livable. It doesn't have to compromise quality of life. It doesn't mean that your pet or your relationship with your pet has to be any different. You can live a 
you and your pet can have a perfectly normal relationship and you can do all the things you want with them. Um, and yeah, they're on medication, but that's okay. I mean, you know, it's very manageable. And, you know, one of the new things that people ask me a lot about these days is, is you know, how can CBD be used to manage seizure activity? Now, several years ago that the FDA approved a CBD-based drug for use in children with certain rare seizure disorders. And there's actually a study in veterinary medicine that has evaluated the use of CBD along with other anticonvulsants to manage seizure activity. And, and more and more people are looking for that as an option because, you know, they consider it a more natural option. Certainly, you know, it's becoming more of an option for a lot of folks. And, um, you know, in my practice, certainly we use a fair amount of it. Um, I would say usually, again, as an adjunct to other medications, but owners do appreciate the, the, the benefits they get from it without the risks that can sometimes be associated with more traditional anti-seizure. It's sometimes it's difficult to try and figure out what the proper dosage should be, right? So um, right. I mean, can you speak with that a little bit? So that's one of the biggest problems that we encounter when we see a lot of companies advertising their CBD product can be used to help manage seizure activity. In a published study, which came out of Colorado State, they used a very specific dose, actually about two and a half milligrams per kilogram given twice a day. That said, if we take our cues from the human side, we recognize that the dose that's actually needed to help manage seizure activity with CBD may actually be quite a bit higher. And, you know, so sometimes we have to go through this escalating trial to find what works best for each individual patient. Um, you know, until we have more published studies, I don't know that it would be appropriate to say that there's a firm or set range over which you would consider dosing CBD to help manage seizure activity. That's why working with your veterinarian is important. Um, that said, you know, when we look at the experience on the human side, some of the doses, you know, go as high as 10 or even 20 milligrams per kilograms. I know that you, uh, from talking to you before, it's still something a little bit new, not as new as it was just maybe a year or two years ago, but still very new in, in veterinary medicine to use CBD. And that's why I think you are definitely also one uh, to, you know, be there to educate pet owners, but also veterinarians in the use of CBD. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, you know, we don't learn, even as of today, students don't learn anything about the endocannabinoid system, which is an increasingly important system in, in how our body regulates itself. And, um, you know, we're beginning to recognize that certain deficiencies or abnormalities can lead to a whole variety of conditions. As a consequence, you know, because it's a new science, you know, we have to get educated on it because like it or not, the cannabinoids, the phytocannabinoids, the, those that are derived from plants are here to stay and, and will likely increasingly take on a more important role with respect to how we manage a whole variety of conditions. So as a consequence, we as veterinarians who are tasked with providing you know, guidance and medical care for our pets really need to take it upon ourselves to learn as much as we can because our clients are already asking about how they can use these types of products. And many of them are using them without guidance. So um, we're really sort of need to be in a position to give them the best advice possible, depending on the conditions. That Just uh, circling back when it comes to seizures, uh, don't self-medicate your, your pet. Make always sure that you closely work with your veterinarian first to, to make sure that you got the proper dosage and proper combination. That's correct, because the cause of the seizure activity can be quite serious. And until we determine the cause, um, you know, it, it's the patient is at risk. So we really you know, want to use all the tools that we have at our disposal to try to get to the bottom of the, the, the question as to what's causing the seizure activity so we can not only determine how best to treat it, but minimize the risk to the patient's quality of life overall. Great. 
Well, thank you so much. I think you answered all of my questions until you can uh, maybe, I don't know if you have anything else to add to the subject matter. Um, no, I just want to thank you guys for having me on today. And, um, you know, like I said, you know, seizures are not the be all end all and they're very manageable. Um, seizure disorders are, again, not uncommon, but, um, you know, we're here as veterinarians to make the quality of your pet's life and the quality of relationship as good as possible. So use us when necessary. Yes, thank you for that. And again, thank you for being on the show. We really enjoy your expertise here. Thank you for joining us today on People with Passion for Pets. We're Jim and B. Walker, and we share the adventure of life with our dog Apollo and Heidi. For more adventure videos, check out our YouTube channel, Modern Canine Vlog, or visit our website, www.mcs.dog. And until next time, keep your paws on the road.